Hi, this is Dana Gardner, Principal Analyst at Inter Arbor Solutions, and you're listening to Briefings Direct. Our next healthcare finance insights discussion explores the rapidly changing ways that caregiver organizations onboard and manage patients. How patients access their healthcare is transitioning to the digital world, but often in fits and starts. This key process nonetheless plays a major role in how patients perceive their overall experiences and determines how well providers manage both care and finances. Stay with us now as we unpack the people, process, and technology elements of modern patient access best practices. To learn more, we're joined by our expert panel. Here with us today are Jennifer Farmer, Manager of Patient Access and Admissions at Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary in Boston. Welcome, Jennifer. Welcome. Thank you for having me. We're glad to have you. Sandra Beach joins us. She's Manager of Central Registration, Office, Patient Access, and Services Pre-Services at Cooley Dickinson Healthcare in Northampton, Massachusetts. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you. And we're also here with Julie Gerderman, President of HealthPay24 in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Julie. Thanks so much, Dana. Excited to be here. Well, great. So let's start at sort of the perspective of how things have changed. Jennifer, for you and your organization, how has the act of bringing a patient into a healthcare environment, into a care situation, changed in just the past five years? Yeah, in the past five years, technology has exploded. Five years ago, patients would come to us through referrals. They would use the old-fashioned way of calling to schedule an appointment. Today, it is much easier for them. They can simply go online to schedule their appointments. They can obviously walk in as they did in the past, but it's much easier access now because we have ways and means of, of the patients being triaged and given the appropriate information so they can make an appointment right then and there versus waiting for their provider to give them a call to say, hey, so we've scheduled your appointment. Patients just have it a lot easier than they did in the past. And is that due to technology? It seems to me that when I used to go to a healthcare organization, they'd be greeting me and maybe handing me a clipboard, but now they're always sitting at a computer. How has the digital experience changed this? Yeah, it's changed it drastically. Patients can now complete their accounts online. And so the person sitting at the desk, they already have that patient's information right then and there. So the clipboard is gone. That's definitely something that patients are liking. We get a lot of compliments on that piece of it. It's definitely easier for someone to have everything electronically submitted to us, whether it's their medical records, whether it's their health insurance and the patient, vice versa. It's easier for us to communicate with the patient through the electronic health record. So if they have a question or we have a question for them, the health record is used to go back and forth. So not as many phone calls as there used to be, not as many drop-ins as there used to be, and also with the advent of telemedicine. So a doctor can have a, have a discussion or a meeting with the patient right on their cell phones these days. So it, it's, technology has definitely changed how medicine is being distributed as well as the patient experience. And uh, Sandra, how important is it to get this right? It seems to me that, you know, first impressions, the old adage are important. Is that the case with this first interception between a patient and, and this larger complex healthcare organization and even ecosystem? Oh, absolutely. I would definitely agree with Jen that so many things have changed over the last five years. And really, it's a benefit to our patients because they can do a lot more online They can also e-check in now. That's a new function that's going to be coming with us with Epic, with uh, Jennifer and I, where patients can actually do that online. You know, and the patient portal is really important, too, because patients can actually go in there. She said communicate with with, um, patients and, you know, and with the providers, too. So 
I think it's just really important for our patients. The telemedicine has come a huge distance over the years. And Julie, we know how important getting that digital track or digital breadcrumb trail, if you will, of a patient right from the start, the more data, the better. How has the patient access best practices been either helped or hindered by technology? Are the patients perceiving this as, as a benefit? They are, Dana. I believe that there's been a huge improvement in patient experience from technology and the advent and increase in technology. What I think about is a patient is really just a consumer. We're all just people. And in our lives, in our daily lives, we're researching things. So for patient access, even before they ever book an appointment, either online or on the phone, they're pulling up their phones and they're doing a ton of research about the provider, about the institution, just like folks do in their daily lives for anything personal, right? Whether it's a a local service uh, that you get, like a dry cleaning or a haircut or anything in your neighborhood or your community, you do the same when it comes to your healthcare and because you're consumer. So that level of consumerism that's expected in our daily lives truly has become expected in our uh, healthcare. So leveraging technology for access, and as Jen and Sandra mentioned, the actual clinical experience via telemedicine, Digital transformation is just beginning in healthcare and will continue to really impact healthcare going forward. We've looked at this a bit through the lens of the experience and the initial impressions, but what about economics? Uh, When you do this right, is there a, a benefit to the organization, the provider organization? Is there a benefit to the patient in terms of getting all those digital bits and bytes and information in the right place at the right time in terms of how this can be efficient. So what are the what are the economic implications, Jennifer? There's two faults here. One, the, the economic ex- implications for a patient is that they are able to not have to take a day off from work or leave work early. So they are able to continue with the telemedicine, for instance. That's something that can be done um, up until the evening. I think also we're looking when Organizations do evening and afternoon, or I'm sorry, evening and weekend appointments. That's also a satisfier for the patient because they may not be spending as much time trying to rearrange or get daycare or pay for parking and so forth and so on. And for the organization, the economic implication is that we're able to provide service to more patients. We are able to streamline certain services so that it is more efficient for the hospital or for the providers. Their time is just as valuable as anyone else's. And so they want to be able to reduce the wait time that someone has to see them. So if we have a wait list of four to six weeks with the advent of or using the technology and making it more broad for different avenues of care, it also reduces that wait time. So the doctors and and, um, the technicians are able to see more patients, which obviously is an economic um, positive for for the hospital's bottom line. And Sandra, it seems to me that oftentimes the patient is not just having one point of intersection, if you will, with a with an organization that they are probably going to be going to a clinic or to a specialist and then rehab perhaps or a pharmaceutical service. How do we make this sort of common? Is there a way yet to make the uh, the single intercept of a patient extend across an ecosystem of healthcare providers or are we still working that out? Again, I, you know, and I'll go back to the, to the electronic medical record like Jennifer was talking about before, is that here with us being on the partner system, no matter where you go, you could go to a rehab appointment, you could go to a specialist, you could go to the cancer center in Boston, and all your records are accessible for the physicians, for the patients. 
So I think that's a huge step in the right direction because no matter where the patient goes, you can access their records. So Julie, to your point that the consumer experience dictating people's expectations now, um, uh, this uh, digital trail and having that common view of the single common view of the patient across all these different parts of the organization is crucial. How far are we along with that? It seems to me that we're not really fully baked when that uh, across that digital experience. You're right, Dana. I think uh, partners is an amazing exception to the rule because they are, as Sandra and Jen are describing, able to see and share data across their network. Throughout the rest of the country, it's a bit fractured and splintered. So there's a lot of friction that remains in accessing records as you move even in some cases, the same health system from a clinic or the ED into the facility or a specialist. So that challenge of interoperability of data, the integration of that data, that remains. And then hospitals continue to go through a lot of M&A, right? A lot of acquisitions. And that every time it's an acquisition, it creates another challenge in data integration and interoperability. And from the consumer perspective, they want that invisible, and it, and it should be invisible. It should be on their phones regardless of what that encounter was, what the financial obligation was for the encounter, all of that. So that's the expectation, and what's still happening is there's, there's a bit of a ways to go in terms of interoperability and integration from the healthcare side. All right. Well, we've addressed the, the process a bit and the technology, but the third leg on the stool here is the people. Is there a way in which the person or people who are interacting with the patient at the outset can foster a better environment. And it seems to me that the, the role and importance of somebody who is at that initial intercept with the patient has probably been elevated when so much rides on getting the information right up front. So Jennifer, what about the, the people who are in the role of accessing and onboarding patients? What's changed with them? Yeah, that's, that is really the crux of the difference between a good patient experience and a terrible patient experience, that first interaction. So folks who are scheduling appointments, who may be doing registration, who may be at the information desk, they are all the drivers to making sure that that patient starts off with a great experience and moving forward. So most organizations are really delving into different facets of customer service in order to ensure that the patient is feeling great and feeling like they do belong when they come into an organization. Here at Mass Pioneer, we practice something called eye care. And so what that is, is essentially think about how you want to be treated and your family members are to be treated. And let's make sure that we're treating patients who walk in the door like they are our family members. And so when you lead with a positive foot, it downstreams into that patient's feeling of, I'm in the right place. I expect my care to be fantastic. I know that I'm going to receive great care. And then their positive outlook generally reflects the positive outcome of their visit. It has changed dramatically even within the past two to three years where most places are siloed. Most places or areas or departments would have the, oh, sorry, we can't help you there or that's not our area. To make it more inclusive, you're a brand ambassador. We have to make sure that people understand that. So to make it more inclusive for the patient and and less hectic for the patient, no matter where you are within our particular organization, and I'm sure Sandra can speak to this as well, you are important to that patient. So if you don't know the answer, you don't have to say, I don't know. You could say, let me get someone who can assist you, or let me find out some information for you. 
So it's just making sure that the patient, it doesn't have to work when they actually walk into the door. They should be treated as, as a guest, but they should also be welcomed and treated as a family member. So I, I think three or four years ago, it was definitely the mindset of not my job. And so even at other organizations that I have visited, I do see more of a helpful environment, which has, has changed the patient perception of hospitals as well. I couldn't agree more, Jennifer, because we have the same thing, of course, here with the eye care. You know, and mm-hmm. I always talk to the staff every day and at our staff meetings, how would you feel if you were the patient walking in our door? Do we, you know, are we not um, greeting patients, you know, with the nice warm, friendly smile or saying, how can I help you today? Or good morning, what can I do for you today? Those kinds of things has really, as long as we keep it in the forefront of of our staff, so they're Mm -hmm. thinking about this every time that they greet a patient, every day that they come to work, because patients have choices. Patients can go other facilities. They, They can go to other providers. So, you know, we want to keep our patients within our healthcare system. So it's really important that we have the we um, have the really good patient experience on the front end because Jennifer is absolutely correct. It has a positive outcome on the back end because if they start off in the very beginning with a scheduler or a registrar or an ED check-in person and they're not greeted in a friendly, warm atmosphere, then typically that's what sets off their visit. And so, And that seems to be what they remember. That first interaction is really what they remember. Yeah, Julie, this, um, again, reflects back on what's been happening in the consumer world around experience, the uh, user experience, the patient experience. And it seems obvious, but uh, unfortunately, it seems to be a fairly new trend that we would make that paramount and uh, all our processes and technologies line up behind making that experience uh, optimal. But I'm curious about this notion of competition. Uh, I think that might be something new as well. So why do healthcare provider organizations need to be thinking about this perception issue and the fact that people could pick up and choose to go somewhere else? How has competition changed the landscape when it comes to healthcare and how you would line up your technologies and processes? Patients have choices. Sandra really described that well. Patients have within, particularly in metropolitan areas or suburban areas, They have lots of options for primary care, specialty care, elective procedures. And so healthcare providers and institutions really are trying to respond to that. So in the last few years, you see um, not just consumerism from the patient experience, but consumerism in terms of advertising and marketing and positioning of healthcare services like we've never seen before. So I do think, you know, that competition will continue. I think it'll actually become even more fierce over time. So providers who can show that empathy, put the patient at the center of everything that they do, just like uh, Partners is doing, as Jennifer and Sandra talked about, putting the patient at the heart and then showing empathy from the very first interaction. The digital interaction needs to show empathy, and, and there are ways to do that with technology. And of course, the human human interaction from when you're in the facility. Patients don't want to be patients most of the time. They just want to be human and live their lives. So the technology supporting all of that, to answer your question, becomes really crucial. It has to become just part of that experience. It has to arm the patient access team with the data and information at their fingertips so that they can look away from a computer or a kiosk and interact with that patient on a different level, right? It should really arm them to have the better empathetic interaction, and that builds trust with the patient, trust with the consumer. 
Yeah, I've seen that uh, competition right here where I live in New Hampshire. We've had two different national branded critical care clinics uh, open up, uh, pop up like mushrooms in a spring rain uh, in just our neighborhood. So there is obviously the opportunity for trying to capture that experience and the allegiance and loyalty of a patient. Let's talk about, again, the experience, not just for the patient, but for that that person who's in the position of managing the patient access. Uh, One of the things that technology has done is make this digital and, and extend data across all parts, nooks and crannies of the organization. But still, technology is often not integrated in the back end for these poor people who are jumping between four and five different applications, often multiple systems to try to onboard a patient. So what's the challenge from the technology side for the, for the provider organization and that individual who has to try to make that patient feel loyalty? Uh, let's start with you, Jennifer. That used to be our issue till we uh, got Epic, the Epic system in 2016, and that kind of went away where people were going into multiple applications. And it is it, that was part of the issue with having a, a positive patient experience because every point that someone would go to, they would need to repeat their name and their date of birth. And it looked this way in one system, it looked another way in a different system. And, and so, you know, they would give their information, their insurance information at point A, they get to point B, they have to give that same insurance information. And, and rightfully so, patients would be upset because it did not make sense to say, all right, I need your information when you just gave it to somebody half an hour ago that works in the same organization. Epic is a one system. It's the um, registration or the patient access side. It is the coding side. It's billing. It's medical records. It's clinical care, medications. It's everything. So for us here at Mass Ioneer, no matter where you go within the organization and as Sandra mentioned earlier, we are part of the same partner's healthcare system. So you can actually go to any partner's facility and that person that accesses your account can see everything. For a patient access standpoint, they can see your address and phone number, your insurance information, who you have as an emergency contact. So there is not a, there isn't that anger that patients have been feeling before because they're just literally giving their name and date of birth, which is a verification point. So it does make it a lot easier for our patients to be able to come through the door, go to different departments for testing, for their appointment, for whatever reason that they're here and not have to show their insurance card 10 times. If they get a bill in the mail and they're calling our billing department, they can see the notes that our financial coordinators, our patient access folks put on the account when they were here two or three months ago and help explain why they might have gotten a bill. And that's also a verification point because we document everything. So a financial coordinator says to a patient, you're going to get a bill for your copay or for your coinsurance. And then they get that bill. They call our billing team. They say, I was never told that. But then we have documentation that they did. So it's really one-stop shopping for the, for the folks who are working with an Epic. And then for the patient, nine times out of 10, it's usually just, okay, I can just go from floor to floor, doctor to doctor, and I don't have to pull out all of these cards again, or I don't have to show my ID again, because everything is already stored in Epic. So for us, it's, it's a little bit different. Because we're on Please. Epic as well. Prior to that, three years ago, it would be nothing for my registrars to have six, seven systems up at the same time and have to toggle back and forth. 
And you really run a risk by doing that because you have so many systems up and you might have different patients in each system. So, so that was a real concern. But at that also, then we would have to, if the patient came in and didn't have an order from the provider, we would have to call their office. The patient would have to wait for the order. We might call two and three times. Now we have one system. If the patient doesn't have the order, it's in the computer system. We just have to bring it up, validate it. Patient gets checked in. Patient has their exam. There's no wait. And when they come from a provider office visit, they come to the hospital, or maybe they have to have rehab therapy done. Like Jennifer said, I don't need them to give me their insurance card again. I don't need an ID because it's already in the system. You know, their name, date of birth is sufficient, and then they move on through the system. So it's been a, a huge win for us, um, for sure, and for our patients. Jennifer and Sandra, I think it's you know, time for us to address the uh, important aspect of this, that privacy and compliance and regulations play a more important role in the healthcare uh, industry than perhaps anywhere else. So in doing this, we have to not only be mindful of the patient experience and providing the ease of, of perception of care, but, but also address these very important, hard technical issues around compliance and security. How are you able to both accomplish uh, caring for the patient and addressing these you know, hefty requirements? Within, our, within the system EPIC, your access is granted by your role. So staff that may be working in admitting or the emergency department or anywhere within patient access, they don't necessarily they don't have access to someone's medication list or their orders. But however, another role may have access to it. So compliance is extremely important. Access is is definitely something that is taken very seriously. We want to make sure that staff are accessing accounts appropriately. And then there are guards or guardrails built in place to prevent someone from accessing an account if they should not be. For instance, within the partner's healthcare system, we do tend to get people of a certain status. We get politicians, uh, we get celebrities, we get heads of state, public figures. We get them that, that go to various hospitals, even outside of partners, that are receiving care. So we have locks on those particular accounts. For employees, their accounts are locked as well. So if you try to access the account, you get a hard stop or a pop-up. You have to complete a, a, we call it break the glass, essentially. So you have to complete why you're accessing this account. And that is reviewed immediately. And if it's determined that your role has nothing to do with you, you should not be accessing this particular account, then the organization does take necessary steps to investigate and either say, yes, they had a reason to be in this account or no, they did not. And the potential of termination is there. But we do take privacy very seriously within the system and then outside of the system. We do try or we don't try, but we make sure that areas where people are checking in, we're providing a safe space for people to be able to provide us with their information so that everyone is not hearing it. So it is on the forefront. It drives us, and folks definitely are aware because it is part of their training. Yeah, I would agree. You know, Jennifer and I are on the same system, and you said it perfectly, Jennifer, um, because we do have a lot of people that are high profile um, that do come through our healthcare systems. And the security, I have to say, is extremely tight on records, and so it should be. And so, again, if you're in a record and you shouldn't be there, then there are consequences to that. Now, Julie, um, we've had to address these security and privacy and compliance issues over the past several years, but we've also had to deal with a really significant increase in the complexity around how the finances and payments 
and how we interact with the insurers and the payers works. So there's co-pays now that didn't necessarily exist. There's deductibles. There's so many different plans, uh, platinum, silver, gold, bronze. In order to keep this goal of a positive patient experience, how are we addressing this new level of complexity when it comes to the, the finances and the payments? And do they and should they go hand in hand, the patient experience, the access, and the economics? They do, and they should, and they will continue to. So there will remain complexity in healthcare. Um, it, it will improve steadily over time, but with all of the changes, both regulatory, compliance, as you mentioned, and from an IT perspective, there are just complexities a given. It will be there. So how to handle the complexity with technology, with efficient process, and with the right people becomes more and more important. So complexity, I like to say, is there are ways to make the complex simple with the right technology. So on the back end, behind that amazing patient experience, both the clinical experience, but also the financial experience behind that is really the complexity and really trying to almost shield the patient from experiencing that. Um, And we at HealthPay24, of course, are focused on that financial experience and taking all of the data that's behind there and presenting it very simply to a patient. You know, one small screen on the phone with all of those different encounters and in many cases with different backends from those encounters, being able to present that very simply for a patient to meet their financial obligation, right? They're not concerned that the ED had one different EMR than the specialist. Um, That's really not the concern of the patient, nor should it be. It's the concern of how the providers can use technology in the back end to then make it simple and change that experience. And that is, you know, we talked about loyalty That's what drives loyalty, right? You're going to keep coming back to a great experience with great care and and just ease of use. So for me, that's all crucial in as we go forward with healthcare and and technology and the role it plays. And Jennifer and Sandra, how do you see the relationship between the proper onboarding and access and experience and, and this higher complexity around the economics and finance? Do you see more of the patient experience addressing the economics. Yeah, so patient access, we've we've expanded our role, and I apologize, do you mean in a the patient economics or the economics of yeah, the well, patients? Okay. As you're onboarding, as you're bringing patients into the organization, are you addressing their economic issues as well, and, and should you, or do you have to, or how has that changed? So we, we've done a uh, an overhaul of our system where it concerns patients and, and their concern for paying bills or their concern for not having health insurance. So our financial coordinators are there to assist our patients, whether by phone, email, in person. There's lots of different programs that uh, we can introduce the patient to. We are, for the state of Massachusetts, we are certified counselors. And that what that means is that we are able to help the patient apply for health insurance through the Health Connector for the state of Massachusetts, as well as for the state Medicaid program called MassHealth. And so we're here to help those patients go through that process. We also have an internal program that can assist patients with paying their bills, We talk to patients about different credit cards that are available for those that may qualify. And essentially, uh, the bottom line, too, is is somebody just wants to get on a payment plan. So we take 
many factors. And, and so we try to make it work as best as we can for the patient. At the end of the day, it's about that patient receiving care and making sure that they're feeling good about it. And, um, and so we definitely try to meet their needs and introduce them to different things. We are here to support them. And at the end of the day, it's, it's you know, again, about their care. And so if they can't pay anything right now, but they obviously need immediate medical services, then we assure them Right now, let's focus on your care. We can talk about the back end or, you know, we can talk about your bills at a different point. We do provide them with different avenues. And so we're, we're pretty proud of that because we, I like to believe that we're successful with it. And so it, it helps the patient overall. Sorry, it's Julie. If I could just jump in and, and piggyback a little bit off of what Jen talked about. It really does go to that patients, patients want to meet their obligations, and they, but they need options to be able to do that. So, so those options become really important, whether it's a loan program, whether it's a payment plan, whether it's applying for financial assistance, all of these things actually technology can enable. So that for health pay, we actually enabled an eligibility check right in the platform. So you don't um, have to worry about others knowing. You can literally check for eligibility by clicking a button and entering a few fields to know if you should be talking to financial counseling at a provider. You can actually apply payment plans or actually if the providers opt for that, it'll be proactively offered based on demographic data to a patient through the platform. And of course, you can actually apply for, for loans for evolving credit through the platform. So, so much of what patients want and need financially is now available and enabled by technology. So, Sandra, it sounds like we've got sort of a unification across the financial, economic, and caregiving roles. And that strikes me as something that's fairly new. Yes, absolutely it is. We also have, let me just talk a second about a program that we have in our emergency department that we instituted a year ago. We've just kind of turned that year mark where we offer, um, it's an ED discharge service. And when the patient's discharged, they stop at our desk. And we offer these patients a wide variety of either it's payment options or maybe they're homeless and they're going through a tough time and we can tell them where they can go to get a free meal or where they can go spend the night. There's a whole bunch of programs that we do. So I think that's also important for our patients too, because we will never turn a patient away regardless. And when patients come through our emergency department, they need care. They have something that's going on that they were seeking care for. So when they leave, we want to be able to help them as much as we can by supporting them and giving them these options. We've also made phone calls for our patients as well. If they, you know, need to get someplace just to spend the night, we'll call and we'll make that arrangement for those patients. So when they leave, they know they have a place to go to. And I think that that's just really important because people go through hard times. Sandra, let me stick with you. Um, how about some examples? Do you have any examples of new processes or approaches to people and technology that you've put in place recently? And what have been some of the outcomes with some of the metrics of success to some of those newer activities in, in terms of patient access? Well, I would just have to go back on, on what we implemented. I just talked about the ED district services. That's made a huge impact. We saw probably oh, 7,000 to 8,000 patients through that desk over the year. It might seem like it's low, but based on our volume and, you know, some patients we can't see because they're admitted or they get, you know, they're sent off on an ambulance to another facility. But 
we have really helped a lot of patients, and it's just been a huge satisfier for our patients through the emergency department. You know, not every patient needs help, and that's perfectly fine, but we're also there just to lend ear, and, you know, maybe they've got questions about what the doctor just said to them, but they really weren't sure what he said. So it's just made a huge impact for our patients here. Yeah, I mean, no one really looks forward to going to the emergency room, but uh, if you can make that a better experience, good for you. Jennifer, same question. Any processes you've put in place, examples of things that have worked, and what are the metrics of success? We just rolled out e-check-in, so I don't have any metrics on it just yet, but this is a process that a patient can go to their my chart or their, their electronic health record and check in for an appointment prior to the day. They can also pay their copay. They can provide us with updates to their insurance information, address or phone number. So when they actually come to their appointment, they're not stopping at the desk to sign in or do check-in. So that seems to be a pretty popular option for the offices that are currently piloting this. And uh, we're hoping for a big success. It'll be rolled out to other entities. But right now, that is something that we're working on where it's tying in the technology. It's tying in the patient care for the patient access. Sorry. It's, it's tying in the ease of the check-in with that patient. And so, again, we're hoping that we have some really positive metrics on that. What sort of time frame are we talking about here in terms of start to finish for getting that patient into, the, into their, their, their care? So if they're walking in the door because they've already done uh, you know, e-check-in, they're immediately going in for their appointment because they're showing up on time, they're expected to two, they're there at two, they're going right in. So the time that the patient is sitting there waiting in line, sitting in the waiting area, that's being reduced. The time that they have to talk to someone about any changes or confirming everything that we have on their account, that time is being reduced. And then we're hoping to test this in a pilot program for the next month to six weeks to see what kind of data we can get. And hopefully that will just across the board just help with that check-in process for patients and reduce that time for the folks who are at the desk and they are able to focus on other tasks as well. Yeah, Julie, this strikes me in the, the parlance of other industries as just-in-time healthcare. It's, it's a good move. <laughs> and any uh, examples from you, Julie? I know you deal with a, a more national uh, group of, of providers and payers as well. So any examples that to you demonstrate and illustrate the positive direction we're going with act, patient access and why technology is an important part of that? I want to cite Christopher Penn's model of people, process, and technology here, Dana, because, you know, when people touch process, there's scale. And when process and technology intersect, there's automation. But most importantly, when people intersect with technology, there's innovation, right? And what we're seeing is not just incremental innovation, but huge leaps in innovation. So that what, what Jen just described as that experience of just-in-time healthcare, that is literally a huge, to me, that's a leap, right? That's, it's that we come to expect it when we reserve a table <laughs> via open table, mm-hmm. when we e-check in for a, a hair appointment, when we, you know, I go back to that consumer experience, but that innovation, right, that's happening all across healthcare. One of the things that we just launched, which we're really excited about, is predictive analytics tied to the payment platform. Because if you know and can anticipate the behaviors and the patterns of a demographic of patients, financially speaking, then it really will help ease the patient experience and what they owe and how they pay and what's offered to them. And it boosts the bottom line of providers because they're going to get increased revenue collection. So, you know, where predictive analytics is going in healthcare and tying that 
to the patient experience and to the financial systems, I think will become more and more important. And that leads to even more, you know, there's so much emerging technology in the, on the clinical side, and we'll continue to see more emerging technology than on the back-end systems and the financial side as well. Okay, before we close out, perhaps a little look to the future and maybe even a wish list. We'll start with you, Jennifer. If you had your uh, wish list for how this will improve in the next few years, what's missing? What's yet to come? What would you like to see available in people processing technology? I go back to just patient care, and we're in a very good spot right now. It can always improve. We need more providers. We need more technicians. We need more patient access folks in the sense of being able to take care of people because the population is growing. And whether you know it or not, you're going to need a doctor at some point. So I, I think continuing on the path that we're on of providing excellent customer service, listening to patients, being empathetic, also providing them with options different appointment times, different finance options, different providers. I, I think it can only get better. Sorry, that's what I'm going to go with. I would absolutely agree. We, we have, you know, we've got a really good computer system. We've got the electronic medical records. But I would have to agree with Jennifer as well that we really need more providers. We need more nurses to take care of our patients. So it comes down to human resources. How about those frontline people who are doing the patient access intercept? Should they have an elevated status, an elevated role, an elevated pay schedule? Yeah, for the patient access, because they're frontline. They, every minute of every day, eight, 10 hours a day that they're working, they're on the front lines. And sometimes that's tough, you know, to be right on the front lines all the time. So I think it's really important that we keep our training with them. We give them options of going to customer service classes. And because the role has changed from just basically checking in a patient to now not only checking in a patient, you have to make sure if their insurance is correct. And we have so many different insurance plans these days, even just within Massachusetts with our mass health programs, there are a lot of those. So to know each one of those, it kind of elevates that registrar to be almost an expert in that field in order to be able to help the patient and get them through that registration process. Uh, you know, it's a bottom line, we get reimbursed for those services. So it, it's sure. really come a long ways. Okay, last word to you, Julie, on this future perspective. Uh, what do you think will be coming down the pike for provider organizations like uh, Jennifer and, and Sandra's in terms of technology and process and efficiency? Where is this going next and, and how will the technology become even more beneficial? I think it's going to be a really big balancing act. And, and what I mean by that is I just read we are now officially more of an older country than a younger country in terms of the age, right? People are living longer. They're needing more care than ever before. And we'll, we need the systems to be able to support that. So everything that was just described, I think, is critical to support our aging population. But what I will say and what I mean by the balancing act is We've got a whole nother generation entering into healthcare as patients, as providers, as technologists. And this new generation, they have a completely different expectation of what that experience should and will be. And I mean, they, when they come in, they, they might have an expectation that the wearable device that they've been wearing should then give all of that data to a provider, that they didn't, wouldn't need to explain it, that it should all be there already, that, you know, not just do they walk in and have just in time, but all the health data is communicated ahead of time. They're walking in and they're having a meaningful conversation about what to do. And I also think this new generation is going to shift us to well care 
and the focus on wellness, right? And not just taking care of when we're sick or Mm -hmm. injured. I think that's all changing. We're starting to see the beginnings of that focus on well care and wearables and devices and how they're used. I, I really think we're still, you know, the providers are going to have to juggle like the aging population and traditional services as well as the new. And technology is going to be a key, you know, core part of that going forward. Well, I'm afraid we'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to a sponsored briefings, direct healthcare finance insights discussion on the rapidly changing ways that caregiver organizations are onboarding and managing patient access. And we've learned how patient access best practices in the digital age require an adept interplay between people, process, and technology. So please join me in thanking our guests. We've been here with Jennifer Farmer, Manager of Patient Access and Admissions at Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary in Boston. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you also to Sandra Beach, Manager of Central Registration, Office Patient Access, and Services Pre-Services at Cooley Dickinson Healthcare in Northampton, Massachusetts. Thank you so much, Sandra. Thank you for the opportunity. And Julie Gerderman, thank you so much, CEO of HealthPay24 in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Thanks so much, Dana. And a big thanks as well to our audience for joining this HealthPay24 sponsored thought leadership discussion. I'm Dana Gardner, Principal Analyst at Interarbor Solutions, your host and moderator. Thanks again for listening. Please pass this along to your community and do come back next time. 